on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Warning. You are listening to the House of the Dragon episode of X-Ray Vision this week. And this episode contains spoilers for House of the Dragon episode four. So be warned. Lots of spoilers. Many. My name is Jason Concepcion, and welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. Special episode disclaimer. There is so much stuff happening right now, so much content, so many stories to talk about, so we will be splitting this week's sessions into two episodes, two easily digestible episodes. Part one, our continuing coverage of Hot D, House of the Dragon, including recap of episode four and the ask the maester segment part two will be all the uh, marvel announcements from d23 plus coverage of she-hulk episode five uh and an analysis of what all of that stuff means for the mcu going forward in this part in this part one episode one for this week house of the dragon episode four ask the maester and if you want to jump around check the show notes for timestamps joining me today to talk about all of the things that we are talking about is the great, the wise, the wonderful Rosie Knight. Rosie, how are you? Ah, hello. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so happy to be here with you. We're both back from travels. Uh, hopefully we have both avoided COVID. I'm knocking on wood. Yeah, me too. Knock, knock, knock. And I can't <laughs> wait to talk to you about this. So let's just dive into it because let's there is it. so much. Let's open up the doors to the house of the hot D, house of the dragon. We are stepping out of the airlock and into the streets of King's Landing for episode four of House of the Dragon, King of the Narrow Sea, written by Ira Parker and directed by Claire Kilner. It's marriage tour time. It's time to find a mate for Rhaenyra. And we open at Storm's End. It's a, the first time seeing Storm's End, the seat of House Baratheon, the seat formerly of the Durand and Storm Kings before the Baratheons. We are in the Stormlands. Rhaenyra is staggering drowsily through various interminably long speeches about how such and such person and such and such person is the right person to marry her. There are bridges. There are uh, there are speeches from the man woodies and from the muds. Folks, it's great to see House Mud extinct when we uh, catch up with the realm in Game of Thrones era. Alive and well and kicking right now. The Muds. <laughs> Great to see them. Uh, Lord Dundarian of, uh, of the Dornish Marches makes a speech. Uh, and he is straight up elderly. Uh, Rhaenyra resplendent in a strapless gown. Kristen Cole by her side uh, is just over all of this. She roasts Lord Dundarian. 
by asking, hey, what was it? Do you remember what uh, what it was like when you met my great grandmother, good queen Alisane? <laughs> uh, and and uh, Lord Dendarrion is like, well, that was uh, that was 50 years ago. And, and she's like, yeah, exactly. You old. And then everybody's like, whoa. And then Lord Boros Baratheon is like, no, that's not uh, that was unkind. That was unseemly. And Rhaenyra is like, yeah, uh, I would like. I would like to be matched with someone who isn't 40 to 50 years older than me. So let's move on, shall we? Next up, a young nobleman, literally 12 or 13, perhaps 14, of House Blackwood of the Riverlands. Lord Boris is like, hey, uh, Raven Tree Hall, I know this guy looks young. But just so you know, Raven Tree Hall, they were kings before the conquest, which I got to say, Rosie, here's the thing about Westeros <laughs> before the conquest. And hundreds of years into history, uh, previous history, there were a lot of like a lot of everyone these was a king. Everyone was a king. Yeah, it's like not everyone, but many of these houses many were people. kings. They were all they can all say they were kings, but that's okay. Yes, absolutely correct. Um, House Blackwood, they were kings back in the day, and of course, uh, uh, a young lord of house bracken pipes up to talk shit famously the blackwoods and the brackens have mm-hmm. been at each other's necks going back to the age of heroes nobody actually knows how this started uh and lord uh, young lord blackwood keeps uh, you know soldiering on despite the fact that he's being uh, heckled by lord bracken and he's saying you know i promise you rhaenyra you will be uh, safe and under my protection uh, as my lady wife uh, the young Lord of Bracken says, and I think fairly, wait, she has a dragon, dude. She doesn't need your protection. <laughs> I think uh, unnecessary. Uh, and then Lord Bracken calls uh, young Lord Blackwood a cunt. And next thing you know, it's Hat- Hatfields and McCoys. They're fighting and uh, shouts to young Lord Blackwood for killing his Bracken rival. Uh, something that will surely go down in Blackwood history forever and ever ever this kid's gonna be a hero and the feud continued yeah it was a badass move i have to say like Rhaenyra does not have many good options here and like Mm -mm. yeah marrying a kid unappealing especially when you're like a teenager coming into womanhood but this kid is kind he's polite and he does not fuck around like that guy chatted shit and he died. Like the, kid, what, the kid's like eleven, and he took down this like six foot four <laughs> fucking nobleman saying some mad rude shit. I was there for it. I was very happy. I would like to see the spin off. And I thought it was a really nice way, like you say, to to build a little bit more context onto this kind of historic rivalry. Ab- absolutely, and also, what an example of what we are seeing, which is essentially the cycle of toxicity and trauma Mm -hmm. and patriarchy that goes on in Westeros in this feudal society where all the baggage of the adults and the parents gets passed down to the kids in the form of quote unquote legacy. And they then have to carry that forward. Like it is like, let's let's for a second step back and say, yeah, it's actually, it's actually, uh, uh, it's actually fucked up that this young kid of yeah, he was like Lord Blackwood had to murder someone, but that's how it goes in Westeros, yeah. where all of this stuff gets passed down. That's such a brilliant point because that is absolutely this is one of my, this is one of my favorite episodes of any Game of Thrones because it's, it's so good. And I think you're right. This is essentially 
a very on-the-nose bit of foreshadowing about what this episode is about, which is how they fuck you up, your mom and dad. It's that From the moment (laughs) you are born, you you are getting fucked up by your mom and dad in this world. On the boat back to the capital... Princess Rhaenyra is wondering how her dad, King Viserys, is going to react to her blocking every single marriage match like Dikembe Mutombo <laughs> and cutting the great marriage to her short by two months. Kristen Cole uh, is like, I think he will react badly. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were bragging on Kristen, yeah, because he, yeah, yeah. he was like, he couldn't give her the reassurance. But you know what? There is not very many people yeah. There's really two, and we'll get to see the other one who yes. we both love this episode. But there's not really anyone in Westeros who is telling Renera the truth. Yes. So you know what? Kristen Cole, it's probably not gonna end well for you, because that's not how these things we'll go. We'll see. We'll but see. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the honesty in the moment. Yes. You know, he doesn't give a fuck he's talking to a princess. He's like, you fucked up. It's gonna yeah, be I mean, there was. There was two months left on this tour, not oh God, to mention the fact, so boring, not but. to mention all the planning and the fact that, like, uh, you know, you we had to, uh, you, you know, we had to lay, liaise with all these houses and these places. And imagine where how you're much stop money and they're they're getting food. Yes, they're planning for feasting. They're planning for servants. They're planning for you know for for all the things required to secure and safeguard and entertain a princess of the royal blood. And now all that stuff is canceled. So. That's actually a big deal. Uh, all of a sudden, the sound of a dragon uh, reverberates uh, across the sky here uh, on the seas heading back to King's Landing, and Caraxes drops out of the clouds to buzz the ship, almost knocking Rhaenyra overboard. Prince Damon is home. Uh, we head to uh, the Red Keep where uh, King Viserys is donning his his crown, taking up Blackfire as he awaits Damon's arrival in the throne room. A whole court, the whole court <laughs> of the royal court of people is is here to witness what is about to happen, including Rhaenyra, who must have gotten there, uh, you know, quite quickly and then sprinted from the ship. Damon walks in. He is wearing a crown of driftwood. And I, I just want to shout this out. Carrying the crab feeder's hammer, <laughs> which Damon then says to Viserys, uh, you should add this to the chair. What a cheeky move by the crab feeder to make his, I said this on the official podcast. I don't know if they cut it out because I didn't listen because I can't stand the sound of my own voice. But Same. what a cheeky move by the crab feeder to make his weapon the thing that you use to crack open crabs, like at a restaurant. <laughs> it's very witty. It's, it's extremely quite, witty of him. Like, does he carry like a little butter, like on his belt and like have carry, a bib? Like, a nutcracker like... for the legs? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Viserys asks about the crown. It's like, ah, oh, I see that. Uh, uh, what's up with the crown? And he says, my men named me King of the Narrow. See? Uh, but of course, there's going to be only be one king in Westeros and Damon uh, uh, does homage to his brother, he kneels, gives up the crown, uh, and Viserys is deeply pleased. They embrace the, the realm, uh, it, it celebrates. Uh, where's Corlys, he asks. And uh, we learn that the sea snake went home to Driftmark. And uh, as for who is defending the stepstones at this very moment, no one. There's just like rotting corpses there. Uh, don't worry about it. Yes, we fought over it for three years, but uh, should we secure it? no. We'll just leave that. It's chill. Be, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. We embraced and the realm loves it. And that's all anybody's thinking about. Later on at the feast, 
it's actually great to see Viserys and Damon back together. Like you get the feel, the, it, just incredible performances, of course, by Matt Smith and, and Patty Considine, and you just get this feeling of how much as young men they must have enjoyed mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Uh, it's great to see Viserys happy for once, uh, reminiscing about Alyssa Targaryen, his and Damon's mother. Uh, Rhaenyra comes over to congratulate Damon, uh, who we should say has gotten a haircut and has cleaned up quite well. And immediately a frost falls mm-hmm. over the proceedings. The king is obviously quite, quite vexed at Rhaenyra. He gives her the cold shoulder. Uh, Allison comes over and tries to like break the ice and is like, hey, Grace, why don't you take uh, your brother to go see the tapestries? And then again, we get this wonderful warm moment between the brothers where Viserys is just laughing and Damon is laughing with him. He's like, oh, he doesn't want to. Are you crazy? He doesn't want to see the tapestries. You stop this. You stop this stuff. Yeah, it's like it's really good because the. The one Paddy constantly give him an Emmy. I'm already ready for it. I was, but this episode sold it He's for me. Great. But it's this great moment where it's so warm and and so offhand. It doesn't even matter to the king. It's just obvious. But to Alison, it like cuts her to the core. She yeah. knows what her place is. You're yeah. a woman. You want to see a tapestry. Renera wants to see a tapestry. Yeah, get you don't want to see here. a fucking tapestry. This is my fucking brother. This is the person who matters most to me. This was my heir or potentially could have been my heir. Oomst are you. Yeah. And, uh, but it does lead to like one of my favorite moments in the show that seems like incredibly pivotal. So in its own way, absolutely, it's really interesting that Viserys kind of like, he, 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 again, we talked about this a lot. He underestimates Rhaenyra, but everyone underestimates Alison. And he but, underestimates her as an ally. And in that moment when he kind of slyly shades her or kind of yeah. demeans her, it pushes her closer to Renera again. Allison's isolation is wrenching in this episode. Mm-hmm. And we see it with the very following scene. Allison sits with her former friend and they talk about Renera's recent uh, love tour around Westeros that has, again, uh, been cut short. Allison is like, why are you complaining about this? Sounds, this sounds great. And remember, of course, Allison is locked in now to a many-year marriage with a man much older than herself where she has no agency and her job is basically carry children to full term and then birth them. And so she is saying, this sounds like really romantic. Like you get to Mm -hmm. go around, choose the man that you're going to marry. They pitch to you why they think they... uh, would be the perfect love match for you. Are you, are you, you get to be loved and desired. Are you kidding? And uh, that's kind of the ideal. And Rhaenyra is like, I don't know. I, it, this sounds like a prison to me. I, I don't want to be like locked in this many years long cell, just pumping out babies. And that clearly strikes a nerve. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we get it. Rhaenyra is has the experience of her mother dying in exactly yeah. that way, in exactly that role. Uh, but to say that to Alicent is pretty unkind. And Rhaenyra, to her credit, sees that she has hurt her friend, and she apologizes. It's a sweet moment, and then she asks, "Well, how, how angry is he?" Uh, and then Alicent's like, "Well, you know, the king really worked." hard to arrange this he is frustrated um and then Alicent 
you feel like she wants to share more about what her life is like. Mm-hmm. And the moment just kind of passes. And instead she, you know, they hold hands and she just kind of uh, makes do with the fact that her friend is back and they're sharing this peaceful moment. But you can feel how much more there is that Allison wants to say. Rhaenyra and Damon catch up. They're in the Godswood. Uh, it's been years now since the confrontation on Dragonstone with the egg. And she's like, why are you back? And he says, I need I needed the comforts of home. Uh, there is some uh, flirting that is both gross, but also they are both clearly into it. Yes. Um, uh, you know, niece and uncle here. Uh, he remarking how much she has matured in this very leering way. Uh, he then uh, gives a lecture about, you know, political marriages and what they mean, because Rhaenyra is, is kvetching about the fact that she's being sold off to whichever husband is, is the most politically expedient. Uh, and Damon says, you know, like once it, it's it's a sham. Once the knot is tied, you do whatever you want. Look at me. I've been married <laughs> to Rhea Royce of the Vale for X amount of years and I haven't been home ever. He's like, Ever. I don't even know what she looks like. I've never seen her. Who never is she? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just insult her openly to many people and I never go home. So like you can do that too. The, such a future awaits you, the future queen of Westeros. Rhaenyra uh, rightly points out, uh, dude, obviously different rules for women. I mean, what are we even talking about? Right. Like that just the fact that I am the heir is is a huge controversy, which wouldn't be a thing if I were you. Uh, Damon is like, oh, yeah, well, uh, he then goes into Rodney Dangerfield mode. He's like, yeah, well, try having sex with my wife. There's a prison (laughs) sentence for you. Okay, well, go home once. Yeah. Uh, When have you even ever had sex with your wife? We we do not believe it. We need to see the proof. Uh, and and throughout all this, what's clear is Rhaenyra is, of course, afraid of the fate that befell her mother, Queen mm-hmm. Emma. Um, and Damon then gives her a bit of life advice saying you can't live life being afraid of things that might happen, which is just anytime Damon is giving you advice and it sounds and you're like, wow, that actually sounds pretty wise. Just remember, this is Damon Targaryen we're talking about. Like, uh, yes, yeah. he has an angle, as we will soon discover. Yes. Uh, in the small council chamber, the talk is of Corlys Valerian, who in a fit of pique, apparently abandoned the Stepstones. He is mad at Viserys for spurning the marriage offer uh, d- between, you know, Viserys and Lena. And meanwhile, you know, Otto's brother Hobart is reporting from Old Town that Corliss apparently is now planning to wed Lyanna to son, the son of the Sea Lord of Bravos. And this is, of course, very alarming because, uh, uh, you know, an, an alliance with the free cities uh, while war, a state of near war might or might not exist between uh, the free cities and the realm. Not good. Uh, the council doesn't quite know what to do. We fast forward to nighttime, the hour of some animal, the hour of the bat, who knows? Alicent is in her chambers trying to soothe a colicky Princess Helena. Elsewhere in the Red Keep, Rhaenyra is returning to her chambers where she finds a rucksack of common clothes and a letter containing instructions how to access the secret passage behind her bed. Now, let's pause here. I've said this many times on the official pod here, many places in our discord. Yep. <laughs> Magor 
Maegar completed the Red Keep now like 70, 80 years ago. Long time. It is time to map these passageways. It does At not. At least one person. Please. That could just be one person's job to just map go them. down there and map them. It doesn't make any sense that at any given time, you know, uh, during the history of the realm, there's always seemingly only like one, maybe two people who are familiar with the passageways in the Red Keep. And then that person is never working in the interest (laughs) of the crowd. You know, it's like never. They're always working against whoever is ruling. Folks, we got to, we got to, we got to map these things. The fact that, a bunch of things we imagine are likely going to go down and, and some of them will evolve these mm-hmm. passageways. And then 200 or so years later, Tyrion Lannister is going to crawl through one and kill his father, Tywin Lannister on the shitter lets you know that these should have been mapped out long ago, but they aren't mapped. And uh, Rhaenyra excited at the prospect of a little adventure uh, slips into her disguise, makes her way down, 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 down through Balerion's crypt out to a landing overlooking the city where she finds her uncle Damon and t- uh, together they go on a little dirtbag tour of the capital. Uh, and it is, it is folks. It's a lot. They, they, they see <laughs> street musicians, buskers. There are street criminals. There's an, a, a fortune teller. There's people just fucking in doorways. Uh, you know, uh, Rhaenyra, because she is wearing a beanie, is thought to be a boy uh, by many, which leads me to wonder about vision care in the nobody in the, has glasses. In the capital. <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody, nobody can see anything. Uh, meanwhile, the king uh, back in the Red Keep is soaking his rotten sores in a soothing bath as uh, as the queen and the household staff looks on. The queen sends the staff away so she can kind of like soap down the king's. Soars. Damon and Rhaenyra take in a little street theater. Who doesn't love a little street theater? Uh, and it is a drama about uh, King Viserys's troublesome family. Rhaenyra realizes that, uh, hold on, I don't think the small folk want me to be heir. I don't think they like me, in fact. Uh, and it's obviously a very small sample size, but the commoners seem to prefer Prince Aegon. Uh their wants are of no consequence, Rhaenyra says, uh, went to Damon, and we will see about that. I'm sure Damon uh, then drops some actual knowledge, says, hey, the, the princess, you're going to need to reckon with the reality of what people want when mm-hmm. you, you know, are out here actually sitting on the throne. Then uh, Rhaenyra does some dine and dash shenanigans and runs off, and Damon yeah. runs after her. Yeah, this is a very interesting moment. One great throwback to like when Arya saw the play. Yes, I love about that. the family. It's so good. It's so fun. And also, this is a really great Damon moment because I think. And please, all caveats. This is a fictional yeah, you know, show. No, we know he's been yeah, yeah. grooming uh, this kid yeah, for a yeah, long he's time. Not, absolutely, <laughs> he's a terrible person. But this is a great character moment where Damon is in this constant chaotic struggle. Yes. of absolute self-service, but actually like giving a shit about Renera and occasionally trying to give her good advice. And Millie Alcock and Matt Smith have such unreal chemistry oh, in great. these moments where it's this constant push and pull between what this relationship is and where the power balance lies. And it's that's such a good scene because like, I love Rhaenyra's like badass, I don't give a fuck, like who cares what yeah. they think of me attitude. But we know historically that that does not end well. 
You yes. actually do have to be Absolutely. loved and people do need to, you do need to care about what people think. It's actually one of the ways to say safest on the throne. And I just find this to be such an interesting moment because also, can I just say, yeah, has, has anyone ever fumbled a bag more quickly than Damon <laughs> when he comes Come back? Because literally like he is in the king's good graces. <laughs> the king is like, the kingdom owes you a debt. <laughs> yes. I love you. I'm so glad you're back. All you had to do was make a fake crown and then put it down and kneel. You don't mean any of that. But you know what? Everything's going well for Damon. Everything is coming up Millhouse. He's loving his life. And he just fumbles it in like 24 hours. Well, I completely agree. And, (laughs) And it calls into question, like, is that, I kind of think that's what Damon is going for. Like Damon is, yeah, Damon is a, a, attention fiend mm-hmm. like it's it is jarring when he gives these moments that that feel very uh, uh generated by sincere emotion where he where he has these moments of like actual wisdom and and self-reflection and acknowledgement about the structure of the society they live in but at the same time this is a guy his one like driving focus is i want to start shit yeah, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna be there when it he is when the shit, shit kicks off. Stirrer. He loves he is, stirring. There it. is a moment that we will get to in one minute where I'm like, "This motherfucker!" Like oh, he yeah. wants it to be a problem. He wants he wa- everyone he to it. know about it. Yes, and the best thing is, is like you said, you you always coined this early, and you were just right. He's a troll. He yes. lives for it. He doesn't care he about that. In fact, he likes the chaos that it ensues, but he doesn't yeah. really ever think about a consequence. He just likes to fuck around. And he also That's likes it. to find out, which is actually, you know, <laughs> yeah, good both, for him. Both of those things. <laughs> he wants to be there to find out. Yeah. Um, so a city watchman recognizes Rhaenyra, uh, but uh, Damon kind of reveals who he is, gets the princess out of trouble. And, and again, you get the feeling that this is kind of Damon. We said this after episode one, right? And and we said it again after the issue with the egg. Damon wants people to wonder what Damon is about. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. wants rumors that he and Rhaenyra are running around in the streets to be circulating in the capital yep. and for no one to really know the truth. He wants that. He wants people talking about him because he wants people wondering what is Damon capable of? What will he do next? How did he show up here? How did he sneak her out of the capital? How did he get in to get yep. the dragon's egg? He wants to rub that in everyone's faces. He is not like the thief who wants to sneak in and sneak no. out and leave no fingerprints. He wants to leave the fingerprints. Yeah, he's obsessed with the personal myth that yes. he creates. There's a moment, so they run away and he does the dumbest shit, but it's not dumb because it's actually exactly what he wanted to do. He makes them take off their caps. Yes. He wants everyone to see the white Targaryen hair as they head on to the next part of the dirtbag tour. Yeah. I yelled. I was on the edge of my seat for a lot of this episode, but I yelled at the TV because I just thought, Renera, you should fucking know better. Like, this guy uh, wants people to know. What do they call Renera? The the realm's delight. What do they call uh, uh, Prince Damon, the, the prince of the city? This is because these are two of the three or four most famous people in the realm, certainly in King's Landing, people would know either what they look like or understand if I see that silver white hair, that's a Targaryen. Exactly. Gotta be. And so absolutely. Damon wants these rumors out there. 
he wants that to happen. Uh, they head to a brothel where uh, where Rhaenyra says, what is this place? Uh, and Damon is like, what do you think? And they then, in the words of Otto Hightower, Couple. Yeah, it's, this is this is an incredibly interesting moment as well because so they they walk through. It's a very extended yeah. Game of Thrones uh, sex scene, but I will say something this episode does that is really interesting. There is a lot of background and text about the idea of like sex and how it is yes. for women and the experience of whether sex is pleasurable or not, and we get that with these kind of dueling narratives of Allison yeah. and, and Rhaenyra. And, you know, she walks through like a two-minute brothel where everyone's banging. There's all kinds yeah, of pairings. Everyone, everyone's coupling. And she's like, oh, what's going on? I'm like, I know you know. Yeah. I know you know. But yeah, alas, they couple. But what I want to ask you. Okay, yes. so we've seen that Damon can struggle with stress in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like something happens. They 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 hook up. But Damon gets freaked out and it kind of seems like he gets freaked out when Rhaenyra gets into it, which I found very interesting. But it doesn't seem like they actually, you know, consummated. There's there's something that occurs, but Damon, he, he gets freaked out and he runs away. Yeah, I think, I believe they say in the after show that he could not perform in this moment, which Mm -hmm. we saw earlier in episode one with, uh, with Masaria. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that there, again, I think that as fucked up as this relationship is, I think that there is sincere chemistry there, mm-hmm. a, a real depth of feeling. And I think Damon is used to a level of control. And mm-hmm. I think when Rhaenyra seizes that control, yeah, that on top of the fact that there is real emotion there for both of them. I think that freaks him out. He doesn't quite know how to respond to that. And so he just stalks off. Yeah. And also, okay, so do you think, just on the tiny bit of empathy that we're we're saying that we can see he has or sincerity, do you also think there's a a split second where he realizes that if he does this, because he wants the rumors, but if he actually does it, that could impact Rhaenyra's life just horrifically. Even though the rumors will do the <sighs> same thing, I wonder if to him that distinction between the action and the perception, which is a huge thing here about the perception and the truth, yeah. I wonder if that mattered to him in that moment. I, w- I wonder too. It's hard it it's hard to unwind, but I think my sense is that he thought that this was going to go one way mm-hmm. and when it went another way it, that's what he's worried about because I, 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 as much as we acknowledge that Damon does feel something, whatever that means, you know, sincerely for his niece, his niece, <laughs> can his we remind niece, everyone, yeah, yeah, his teenage his, niece, his who is still niece. being played by Millie Alcock, who <laughs> yeah, has been playing his, this person since they were a child, his teenage niece, that, that, um, that at the same time, I, I don't think that the feelings that any kind of empathy no ever really enters Damon Targaryen's worldview at all. Yeah. I don't think he ever I wonders. Right. I don't ever, I don't think he ever wonder, even if he cares about somebody, I think it's in a way that is pure narcissism where, mm-hmm. 
where it's about their their interactions with him. It's always him at the center, what it means for him yeah. and not what it means for the other for person. That's just my read on it. Maybe no, I, I like that. And also we see, and this is one of my favorite things about Damon as character. This was either a plan or yeah. in the fallout, he makes a very quick, very clever plan. So either yes. way, it's like either way, he doesn't give a shit about Renera when it really comes to the impact Agreed. of this. So at, as they are hooking up and then uh, Damon gets freaked out or whatever the case might be and walks away, leaving uh, leaving Renera there very confused, we see a child who's just hanging out in a brothel, as one does here in King's Landing where anything goes. We see a child get up and run away, clearly an informant of some kind. Uh, back in the castle, oh. the king is apparently aroused after his uh, bath, uh, his soothing bath that uh, Alicent uh, performed for him. Uh, and now he is asking for the queen to come to his chambers. And it's very late. And Alicent's like, it's late. It's like the hour of the wombat or the giraffe or whatever <laughs> the fuck it is. Uh, but uh, uh, the lady in waiting, the courtier is like, yeah, but it's the king. He's asked, he's asking for you. And so she absolutely has to go. And it is a, it is a awful scene so of, of Alicent and the kind of gilded prison that she is locked in under this like decaying man with dis uh, disgusting sores on his back as she is just staring, you know, blindly up at the ceiling and seeing rats run across the top of her bedposts. Uh, it, it's pr uh, pretty awful. Uh, Rhaenyra returns to her chambers, uh, shocking Kristen Cole, who's like, <laughs> how the fuck did you get out? And, and here Rhaenyra is clearly, uh, excited by the kind of freedom, this like taste of freedom that she has experienced as just another person running around the streets of King's Landing. And she then seduces this knight, uh, in a scene that is the polar opposite of what mm -hmm. we had just witnessed with Alicent and King Viserys. And you got it, man, it's got it. What does it take? 35 minutes to get that armor off? Like yeah. 45 I mean, minutes? It's so slow. Yeah. And the best, there's a very interesting power dynamic that flips here, which is, Oh yes. We saw, oh, yes. we'd seen before that Alicent was the queen and Alicent had the power to overpower what Rhaenyra wanted and to say, you must do this. The king, but this time we see that now being the queen has isolated Alison yeah. to a point where she has no friends. She has no one she trusts. She has yeah. no confidants. And she doesn't, she is in a marriage she didn't want to be in as she was used as a political tool. So while she lays under this kind of, like you said, this kind of rotting elderly man, Rhaenyra is running around having the most unbelievable, ridiculous freedom to the point where it's dangerous, but it's amazing. Yeah. She has a freedom in not being the queen and she has a freedom and agency over her own body and the choices that she's making that I just, it re it's really well done to put those stark contrasts into play. I, I, I completely agree. And then, and then there's an interesting power dynamic also with her and Kristen Cole. Obviously, yep. she is still a, a very young woman at the same time. She is she's offering Kristen Cole something that could lead to his death, death. 
to his torture, to his death, to him being uh, derobed, cast out of the Kingsguard at a minimum, and like have his dick cut off and his head cut off, tortured and killed. So a lot of interesting things going on here on top of the fact that here we are with this leaning into this kind of iconic fairy tale mm-hmm, mm-hmm. trope of the princess and the shining knight and the shining armor. Uh, and you just know because this is Westeros and this is George R. R. Martin and this is House of mm-hmm. the Dragon that this cannot last. There's no yeah. way this can last. And they've done a really great job in this first half of the season. You knew that this was why Renera picked him. She had right. a crush. She was oh, a, a good-looking you know? guy. Yeah, and and he was a he was like he came from exotic, faraway lands, and yeah. he fought in battles, and he was the prince who comes and saves you from yeah. your life imprisoned in the castle. But it's really nice for once, in the context of the show and the way things usually go, it's nice for once to see a woman, yes, who is chasing someone that she wants, who gets it, who gets to yeah. have this moment, even though. Like you said, it's unlikely that we're going to see that last in any long-term way. I was happy that Rhaenyra got that moment. (laughs) Same. Very same. Listen, it is rare in this world when we see characters have moments of actual, sincere, honest connection and Mm -hmm. happiness and Let's take a moment to celebrate those things when like they come. Viserys, yeah. When they come, like Viserys and Damon having that wonderful joke in the Godswood, like uh, Rhaenyra here and Kristen Cole. Uh, later, sometime near dawn, Otto gets a, a message clearly uh, from this boy uh, coming through various channels, and uh, it's delivered to him. And we hear the person who delivered it say, this is from the white worm, which book readers will know what that means, but let's, we, we can kind of dance around what that actually mm-hmm. means for, for people who don't know. Uh, Damon then wakes up in some shitty rooming house with Masaria. Masari is, uh, and Damon is extremely dismissive, dismissive of her. You know, uh, you can't clearly, even believe it. You think there's so much history in what has happened in these moments from the yeah. last time we saw them together. So, uh, Damon, uh, we get the we get the sense uh, very clearly that he plucked her from uh, some terrible life as a sex worker, and he still clearly sees her in that context. And she, but she says, "Oh no, 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 no! I'm not." I'm not a simple courtier, some simple uh, brothel worker anymore. I'm much more than that. Uh, I'm doing things that you don't even understand. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then a boy enters the room suddenly and then leaves. Uh, And then all of this completely over Damon's head. Damon does not, is still drunk, obviously, from the night before and very tired, does not even deem to explore whatever it is that Missaria is talking so provocatively about, but we should add here. Let's stop here. Boy enters the room. We saw a boy spying upon Rhaenyra and Damon and the brothel. Uh, Missaria is from Lys, uh, the same city that uh, later on uh, when we meet Varys, we learn that Varys, Master of Whispers, is from Varys. How, how did he do his business, right? He had a, a network of children that he yep. called his little birds that spied yep. for him, little sparrows. Uh, and one has to wonder, 
is this Masaria who is who is running this this kid as perhaps a network of spies? And if so, what's her angle? What's yeah. her angle in informing to, to Otto if that is indeed? I was going to say if she is the white worm in the show, this is this is very interesting because what we've learned about these kind of spy masters or, or masters of whispers in the past is like they usually have a loyalty whether yeah. it's to the crown or the kingdom. What is her loyalty? What? Because what it? If, it, it, if she is the white worm, she just, she just used her birds to potentially destroy Damon. So is it revenge? She doesn't, she doesn't have qualms about that personal connection. And rightfully so, because he sucks yes, the way he, he does treats suck. her. He's, he's, <laughs> again, Damon does not think about other people and no. what they need and want. Uh, recall on Dragonstone, he had ginned up this entire story about how mm-hmm. they were going to get married and have a kid and needed to steal this egg because of the child that they were going to have. And all of that, when it uh, you know was revealed in that confrontation, was absolutely news to Missaria. She had, yep. was like, what? She'd never heard anything about this. And I think it's very interesting the way she says, oh, I've been protecting you again, Damon. Yeah. What, so what does... It, I'm your it protector. Will be, it will be very, I have no idea what she means by that. And it will be fascinating to know what it is she thinks that she's doing, what her plan is, how she sees herself as protecting Damon. Because I have no doubt that she sincerely feels like she's keeping Damon like from from a lot of trouble. So it, it, at the same time, clearly getting him into trouble. So yeah. what that means... We don't know, but it will be very, very interesting to find out. It's really cool as well, because I think it plays into one of Game of Thrones' greatest strengths that we haven't gotten the chance to see much of yeah. in House of the Dragon so far. House of the Dragon is very much like a, a chamber drama. It's a, it's a family story about yes. a, a large but limited cast. There is not the hopping all around, seeing right. the different se- the kingdoms it's and, very and the different families. Yeah, it's very so contained. Ca- but... As we know, like you mentioned, you know, Varys, some of the best characters in Game of Thrones are the people who have to live and survive these monarchs, who have to live and work underneath them or around them, whether it's uh, strange religious cults or men with flaming swords or knights of the, you know, the, the wall. And I love that this hints at that wider world of the working I, I, people same. who, because we master of whispers, mistress of whispers, potentially like that's such a huge part of the power and I, the power I, struggle in, in game of Thrones. So, and, and to your point in this world where you are born into this mm-hmm. uh, uh, life of immense privilege and power, the people who managed to, get into that world through the sweat of their own brows, through yep. their own work. It, it is fascinating to know their life. And they always have a, a, a very accurate understanding of yeah. how this world works. And often a much more accurate and wide-ranging understanding even so than the people who are living the life the the noble people who are in that world so can't wait to to find out more about what Missaria is about uh otto with extreme hesitance one must say 
delivers uh, the news to the king. The princess was spied last evening beyond the walls of the keep in a pleasure house. She was carrying on with her uncle. They were engaged in behaviors unbecoming of a maiden, of a princess. And the king's like, what? Like what? <laughs> and Otto, the king's like, I don't like, care. She was in a pleasure like, house. What? What's wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, it was like, what? And, and Otto is like, do I have to draw you a picture? And basically, yes, the king says. And so eventually Otto comes forth with it. What were they doing? And Otto says, the the princess and Diamond were in the bowels of a pleasure house, coupling uh, in that wonderful recyphens, very throaty, clipped oh. accent, incredible. And Viserys flips out. It, has Otto finally pushed it too far, and ironically pushed it too far by telling the truth? Yeah, telling <laughs> it's the truth. But also it's like... The self-serving truth. The problem with Otto is this move makes his agenda too clear. It, because it makes you know it what? crystal clear. Viserys makes a really good point. He's like, who fucking cares if she's in a pleasure house? You know, there's there's a version where you could deliver this news where you say, yeah. eh, a princess was in a pleasure house. Somebody saw her, looked like her, and yeah, yeah, Damon yeah. were a bit too close. Maybe have a word with her. Try you, you, you underplay it. The king, men are allowed to do this stuff. Targaryens have long been incestuous, yeah. but he presents it in this unbelievable scene between Ifans and, and Constantine, where it's so <laughs> drawn out. And like you said, Viserys just does not want to hear it. And it makes it this huge moment. And Otto doesn't realize until later, but but this is a, it feels like a, a coin flip moment. It feels like uh, something absolutely. has changed. He should have been more hesitant, aka not told him yet, and yeah, played his hand a little bit and, slower. And see, yeah, see what, see what, how this develops. Viserys again loses it. He accuses Otto of trying to destroy Rhaenyra. Says you've been trying to do this for years. Why are you sending uh, spies it, after my daughter? Yeah, how? How hard, how for how many years uh, do you have to try and destroy my blood mm-hmm. so that you can place your blood on the throne? I see what you're doing, and so Otto chased uh, stalks off. Things between Cole and Rhaenyra are a little awkward in the light of day. Cole uh, uh, clearly feeling the danger of the situation that he is now in, while mm-hmm. Rhaenyra is still flush with the excitement of what has happened. He brings a summons from Queen Alicent. That's uh, uh, like, uh uh-oh time. Alicent and Rhaenyra meet in the godswood. Uh, Alicent is like, are you going to tell me what happened? Because she had overheard this conversation between King Viserys and and her father, Otto. And Potentially because she also somehow knows about some secret passages. I know she's just behind where Damon was behind when he was listening. So She's behind the scrim there. She's she's behind behind the scrim. scrim, Yeah. You never know. She's e- she's finding it easy to be in the room where she needs to be. Yes. So Rhaenyra, uh, Allison is like, so I I don't know. I heard that you were in a brothel with Damon, a pleasure house with Damon fucking. And Rhaenyra is like, no, 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 no. I, uh, I didn't do that. And she also says, you know, I'm the princess to question my virtue is an act of treason, kind of throwing down that gauntlet for the first time. Uh, Allison tells Rhaenyra that, well, Otto reported it to your dad, to the king. And then Rhaenyra comes clear. She says, okay, yeah, listen, I, we slipped out. I did sneak out of the castle. We went lots of places. We saw some street theater. I, I got drunk. Uh, 
We we did end up in a brothel uh, just for research purposes, but like nothing happened. Uh, and Damon ended up in the arms of some whore. I don't know what happened, but like we didn't do that. Alicent is absolutely fed up. She sees this as a kind of betrayal. And also r- remember, Alicent is and feels rightly trapped by mm-hmm. the life that she is leading. And here is her friend, Rhaenyra, who's all the time complaining about the things that she has to put up with and the life that she has to lead. And, oh, they're going to make me marry somebody and just have children. And what a terrible life that is. But meanwhile, what is she actually doing? Mm-hmm. Running around, having sex, potentially, running off to pleasure houses, doing whatever she wants, while trying to put forward this image of the honorable, rightful Princess Rhaenyra, the realm's delight, who is trapped in this terrible thing. Yeah, Alicent doesn't want to hear this shit anymore. I will also say, this just, we've talked a lot about this, but we've touched on it, about how they're doing such brilliant work here with Alicent's characterization. I agree. I mean, I love this scene so much because Alicent is rightfully pissed but yeah. really, Allison is fucking terrified for her friend. She's like, are you mad? Your uncle is a fucking tyrant. And not just that, but like, you're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin my life. It's going to, this is just a terrible choice. Like she comes to her as a friend. Yes. She betrays the trust of her dad and her king, her husband, who she overhears. And she still, even though she's pissed, she comes to Rhaenyra and gives her a chance to be like, you are yes. going to be in trouble about this. This is something you need to sort the fuck out. And like, and Rhaenyra also like, Rhaenyra promises that nothing happened like on her mother's yes, on dead her mother. body. Yes. So she is ready to play the game, I think. This is the moment where she understands what the game is. You know, the Game of Thrones. But Alison, still the, the MVP in my opinion. She I, didn't I, have to do this. And she went it, and she did this because she cares about it, Rhaenyra. It would be, it is just extremely sad that Rhaenyra cannot see how much support her friend is giving her under impossible circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, and it's, it's, it is sad. Um, Damon comes staggering into the red keep so and, he, good. and he is immediately seized by Sir Harold Westerling and the King's Guard. He's dragged before the King. The throne room is cleared. Not a good sign. I was going to say, that never <laughs> happens. There's literally always an audience of people hungry for Damon's drama in that room. So you Not know he's in good. trouble. The, you know, the king's guard is there between Damon and the king. The king is on the throne with his crown and he is grasping uh, Blackfire, the sword of kings. Uh, and the Viserys lays into Damon. He puts the cat's paw to Damon's throat. Asks if it's true about him and Rhaenyra. Uh, and Damon says, better she experienced being with me than some whore. <laughs> I don't, again, this Pure is chaos. Damon's, this is Damon's endgame. He, this Pure is the, chaos. He, this is what he wanted to happen. Let's face it. This is what he wanted to happen. The king is angry about, uh, you know, everything. Everything, including what this would mean for any future marriage deal with whoever he would wed to the heir to the Iron Throne, Damon's like, who the fuck cares? You tell them, you and she can tell everyone whatever you want because that's how it works. And and maybe he's not wrong about that, but at the same time, it, it is at least somewhat 
refreshing that King Viserys has a more grounded mm-hmm. and humble, mm-hmm. humble view of how to wield power in Westeros, even if what Damon is saying is not necessarily untrue. Damon then offers to marry Rhaenyra, despite the fact that he is currently married. Yeah. And then, and, and, you know, Targaryens do this, he says, but like, also, what? This is the moment where it's like, was this the end game all along? Was this Even the if Rhaenyra had turned you down, would you have spread the rumor that you were in the brothel together? I think so. I think so too, because, and if not, it's just as much of a Damon moment because when he's on that floor and he realizes what Viserys' biggest fear is, he suddenly thinks, oh, I can make this work to my advantage. Now, Viserys then accuses Damon of angling for the throne with this particular proposal True. and he banishes Damon. That said, it, it, I, I don't think that's necessarily an unfair reading because clearly, like, he would be king consort in this in this reading of of a potential future, right? And and certainly many people in the realm would also see him as the legitimate ruler over Rhaenyra should they be wed. At the same time, I don't think my, my personal read on it is is that Damon does not want to be king. He doesn't care about being king consort. What he wants is to be married to Rhaenyra, one, because I think he actually has feelings for her, mm-hmm. and two, because if that happens, King Viserys, his brother, could never get rid of him, could never exactly. send him away, could power, never banish him. Not the throne. It's it's yes. like it's about being by his brother's side, having power, having That's leverage, it. having something to cement his place in the court, even if he doesn't actually care about sitting on the Iron Throne. He wants to be around his family specifically and uniquely his brother, but also Rhaenyra, and he wants them to pay attention to him, and he wants to be his jokerific troll self <laughs> all the time with, with without the ability of King Viserys ever to banish him from his sight. That's what Damon, I think, wants. Later, uh, Alicent, again, showing this incredible generosity and the strength mm-hmm. of her friendship and feeling that is probably something a little bit more, uh, something unrequited, I think, yeah. that she feels for Rhaenyra, defends her friend. And says, come on, husband, uh, you know, Damon is a liar. He loves fucking with you. He loves getting a rise out of you. This is just what he's doing now. You know, this is all Damon's fault. Uh, I I, I believe that Rhaenyra is still a maiden. Uh, That's, you know, just talk to her and work this out. But I believe her. I believe that she is telling the truth. And of course, she doesn't know that Princess Rhaenyra had sex with Kristen Cole, the night that everybody thinks that she had sex with Damon. Rhaenyra is escorted by Cole and another guardsman to her father's chambers. The cat's ball Valerian blade is laying in a brazier. It's heating up. And King Viserys then tells her the story of the blade, which is actual, incredible, new, legendary material. Great, massive stuff. It's so clever because it answers a huge question that this show posed. It also introduces a massive piece of lore, but because of Millie Alcock and Paddy Constantine, it feels just like a very natural moment in this unbelievable father-daughter kind of chaos that they're they're trapped in. And this scene is so good. Yeah, and uh, so he says before Egon's death, the last of the Valerian pyromancers hid his song in this steel, and Viserys pulls the blade out, shows Rhaenyra the writing, now visible on the red-hot blade. He says it, it, and he reads it. 
from my blood comes the prince that was promised and his song will be the song of ice and fire. I want to shout out quickly, uh, yes. uh listener Nathan uh, and also listener Heidi who called this in emails and discord and discord missives respectively uh this we wanted to know like how it was possible that that this uh, prophecy had been passed down from unbroken from ruler to heir right it must have been written down somewhere how and here it is uh we get that confirmation so cool it's also cool to note as nathan did in his email that Back in Game of Thrones, when Sam is at the Citadel reading up on the Long Night, uh, he's reading a book about you know what happened in the in that endless winter, and he opens the, the page, and what is there but a but a drawing of that very dagger, ah, that which is, is so super cool. super super cool. And of course, we've always wondered like how it was that uh, much later Rhaegar Targaryen came to believe himself to be the prince that was promised. Like, where did he get that idea? And and here we understand how it happened. It all comes from Aegon. It all comes from this prophecy that he had. This is super cool stuff. Viserys then tells Rhaenyra, listen, your responsibility to this house, and not just to this house, but to the world, is to carry this dream forward so that the apocalypse can be averted whenever this this confrontation between good and evil comes. You need to be serious about the family's mission and you need to be serious about your place in this coming conflict. And the king says, now listen, you're right. If you were a man, you could do anything you, were, you wanted. I, I agree with that. That's true. But you were born a woman. So we need to grapple with that reality and you need to to take your responsibilities. Seriously, the king then says that um, you will marry Sir Lenor Valerion and you will do so without any protest and you will unite the two most powerful houses of Valerian blood in the realm. And Rhaenyra says, okay, but I have leverage too and, and I have some things that I want to throw into this deal. What about Otto? She calls him the vulture who perches on your throne. And it's perfect timing to raise this, honestly, mm-hmm. because King Viserys had already had his you know doubts about Otto and had this blow up earlier in the episode and had been going outside, you know, talking to, to, uh, to Lionel Strong secretly when he did, asking for advice that normally he would seek out from Otto. So this has been stirring. And she notes that, hey, hold on, Otto is spying on me? What the fuck is this? Why is Otto Mm -hmm. sending spies to follow me? Uh, He is working at every turn to put his grandson, your son, Aegon, on the throne. And so they make a deal. Rhaenyra will absolutely red Laenor and Viserys will fire Otto, which he does. He does it kind of graciously. He says, you're the man who taught me to be king, but you got to go. Otto is shocked. Viserys accuses Otto of being overly ambitious, which is true, of angling for the throne, which is true, of placing Alicent in his path during his time of weakness, which is absolutely true. You are a faithful servant, he says. The crown and the realm owe you a debt that cannot be repaid, but I can no longer trust your judgment. And he takes the hand hand of the kingpin from Otto's chest. And then we go to Rhaenyra's chambers where Grandmaster Melos uh, comes with a tray of plan tea. Uh, moon tea sent by her dad very progressive guy very progressive guy and a sad statement about uh, the freedoms enjoyed in King's Landing and Westeros that uh, are not enjoyed 
in many parts of our mm-hmm. re- very real world. Uh, what an amazing oh. episode. An amazing episode. So good. I, I love the, the scene between Rhaenyra and Viserys where they're negotiating about the marriage was so good. I was just like, oh, this can't be topped. And then yeah. Reese and Paddy in that scene, the pure energy and love yeah. and anger and decades of friendship and like the sly kind of insinuations by Viserys that Otto might have mur- like murdered or planned to murder other rulers or, or other hands. And there's just so much to it. And I just... Yeah, this is this is up there with my favorite episodes of the whole Game of Thrones series because it's just so good. And I love the Alison Rhaenyra relationship so much. And I love that the, you know, the creators and the and the cast, the especially I think it was Olivia and and Emma that who play the older girls from episode six, they talked about how the sapphic vibes were like intentional. And yeah. I mean, when you're a yeah. girl, when you're young and you have a close yeah. friendship, those lines can be blurred. And also, yeah. this is a world, as we saw today, where in certain parts of even King's Landing, we've seen it in Dawn and the way that, that equality and sex is treated differently there. But in parts of King's Landing, there are people just fucking. There are pleasures yeah. that people take. There is a yeah. there is a lack of boundaries around it. So it's very interesting to see that and to see the kind of that rekindling of it today between Alyssa and Renero when they kind of grasp hands and they, and they realize that they're this kind of rock in this horrible ocean. Agreed. It makes what's what we all expect to be coming, Mm -hmm. which is this, this conflict between these two former friends, still friends at the, at this moment anyway, even more tragic because it wasn't because of anything that they really did. It is this world that is tearing them apart. It is the baggage placed on them by their parents. It is the expectations put on them by this world, by the responsibilities they bear that have no connection with the wants and dreams and desires Mm -hmm, and fears mm -hmm. that they personally have. They just can't, there is, there's almost no possible world in which they could bridge the divide that is yawning between them and getting bigger and bigger and bigger every day. And it's really, really sad. It's just really yeah. sad. Like they, they should be great friends, wonderful friends, they but do, they can't be. Yeah. They do such a brilliant job. Like Emily Carey and, and Millie Alcock. They're just so, there's so much complexity and depth yeah. and history between them just in these kind of four four episodes that we've seen and it's yeah it's it's really heartbreaking because we can assume you know we know what the show is about we know yeah. where this journey is going but they play it so well that it's kind of like I always think about this when I watch like Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet there's always a moment just before Juliet wakes up yeah where I always have that split second of like, oh, maybe she'll wake up in time this time. And this yeah, has yeah. that similar feeling where it's Agreed. like, I know where it's going to go, but they sell it so well that I'm like, maybe George has a secret in store. Maybe they're going to twist something and, and do something we're, un- we're not expecting because there is so much there and it's going to be just heartbreaking to see that deteriorate as the show goes on. Somebody posted on on Twitter, and I'm sorry for not remembering who did this, but... 
it was something to the extent of like, I know that I'm into House of the Dragon because I'm so annoyed at the decisions everyone is making. And it's it is kind <laughs> of like that. Like, I just sit there going, God, if they only did this, if this person yeah. only did this, if King Viserys only like, not just named Rhaenyra heir, but then actually did the work all the time to shore up support for her and increase support for her in the world. Like, th- there's so many things, like, listen, I believe in uh, the freedom of expression, the First Amendment, and the importance of of artists being able to express themselves. At the same time, like, you feel like it's a wasted opportunity for the for the crown not to have, like, a state-sponsored theater group that, like, puts on the yeah. stories that support what they're trying to do. Like, right? why isn't there a pro Rhaenyra stage group out there, like running, running plays about how, oh, it's great. Isn't it great that the realm's delight is going to be our queen? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, why is and it, you do think, why like, isn't that a thing? <laughs> it's actually really interesting to look at how much that has changed by the time we get to yeah. Game of Thrones, because then there is far more understanding of how to play the people in your favor. Yes. But it doesn't seem like we are there yet because it would be so easy. They already, yeah, they might not fully support Rhaenyra's heir and they kind of find her to be an easy target. But no one in those plays was saying anything damning. They still see her as someone that they could grow to like, you know, or they do like. They have a fondness for her. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting. But I do also think that speaks like Paddy is so great. And and the story they've given the series is so great. But it does speak to something that I did feel like was clearer in the first two episodes that I think is still an underlying issue for him, which is he is quite, he can't help but sort of take his status for granted. He doesn't understand how, he sees the bigger picture, the prophecy, but he is not constantly striving for the Targaryens to stay in power because he doesn't think they need to. Yeah. And, And that, I think, is the thing that as we watch the downfall of the family is going to come to bite him because there is an aggressiveness and a constant struggle that you need to be in to stay in power and to protect your family. I mean, he says, you know, in the, in the opening episode, you know, we never, dragons never should have existed. They never should have happened. And yet that is the basis of their power. Mm-hmm. So he's, you're absolutely right. He has this, honestly pretty natural like natural fear and revulsion of the very thing that has placed his family in the position that they are in and that they need to carry forward the mission that he so desperately wants to yeah. you know to uh carry forward so uh the show's good the show continues to be good up next more house of the dragon in ask the maester On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dragons have arrived on HBO Max. Folks, did you know the new original series, House of the Dragon, is a prequel set 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones? Did you know that House of the Dragon tells the story of House Targaryen locked in an epic battle for the Iron Throne and power over the Seven Kingdoms? The epic series, now in its fourth episode, promises more drama and betrayal than ever. Listen to the official Game of Thrones podcast, House of the Dragon, on HBO Max, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to celebrate... We're going to answer your questions. We're returning to the Citadel. Here we go. Ask the Maester. Starting now. First question comes from Kellen. Where did Jason and the Lannisters fit in the grand scheme of the realm? Are Corlys and the High Towers richer and more powerful than them? This is a good question, I think. First of all, we should say that um, House Valerian currently is the richest house in the realm, and that is... Uh, due to a variety of factors, mainly Lord Corliss's nine incredible sea voyages from which he returned with all manner of rare items uh, that he then sold at tremendous profit. There's also the fact that, um, you know, there's like some exigent circumstances. Also, like House Valerian also makes a nice penny on taxing narrow sea trade and also in the in the Jaharis years, um, Lord Edwell Celtigar, who was the master of coin during that time and is known as one of the worst, if not the worst, master of coin in the history of the realm. Uh, this is during the regency of King Jaharis. He like hiked taxes at the realm's biggest ports, Lannisport, King's Landing, Old Town, and that led to a windfall for Driftmark and other ports. So this has been building for a while. Um, uh, it's side note, King Jaharis, as soon as he came into his power, fired Lord Edwell and undid all of his tax acts. Anyway, um, it's, it is absolutely conceivable that the high towers as of right now are richer than the Lannisters. Again, we don't know. Um, the high towers are an ancient house, uh, descended from the blood of the first men, 
Old Town, the city they rule, is a massive economic power. It is the richest city in the realm itself because of all the economic activity that goes on there, of which uh, certainly House Hightower gets a piece because of the taxes that they would levy there. In Feast for Crows, Obara Sand uh, uh, says that you know she's trying to convince Prince Duran to let her uh, attack Old Town. And he's like, what do you, it's like, how are you going to hold it? You know, what, what does it matter if you attack it? You can't hold it. And she's like, it doesn't matter because the wealth there just to sack it would be enough because there's so much money there because of the tradespeople who would have it old town and all the ships coming in and out, et cetera. Samuel Tarley's father, uh, Randall Tarley, uh, told Sam, as he recounts also in Feast for Crows, that the high towers were as rich as the Lannisters with the ability to field a massive army, the largest by far of any of the houses sworn to uh, the gardeners of the reach. Uh, and they're strong at sea, you know, though it's likely that the Arbor's fleet is, is larger than the Old Town fleet. And, and the high towers are also very, very careful. So the Lannisters tell everybody how rich they are. All the, the time. High, all all the, time. the time. It's 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 their branding, right? They wear the gold <laughs> on their cloaks and their, you know, t- you know, their words, their unofficial motto is just about money and debts and like everything is gold and lion-based and they love to tell people that they're rich. The high towers don't do that. They move very quietly. They prefer uh, often to wield their power economically and politically rather than to field this enormous military that they could call on if they needed to. And part of their staying power has been over the years that they make the smart cost-effective decision at the, at the pivotal moment. They probably could have been the high Kings of the reach if they wanted to, if they wanted to be instead uh, they pledge their banners to the gardeners through marriage. So, not by being conquered by the gardeners, by by basically like brokering a favorable deal for themselves and then left all the headache of managing the reach to the gardeners. When the Andals uh, invaded, rather than go to war, they cut favorable deals with the invaders on, on terms that were very beneficial to House Hightower when the gardeners marched to war against Dagon the Conqueror. Uh, alongside the Lannisters at the head of the largest army ever assembled in Westeros? Uh, did the High Towers answer the call? No, absolutely not. They did the math. They saw, okay, uh, uh, 55,000 soldiers uh, of the Reach and the Westerlands, again, the greatest army ever fielded in Westeros versus three dragons. Yeah, I think this is a loss. We're not going. House Gardner gets wiped out, goes extinct. Uh, and Lord Manfred Hightower bends the knee to Aegon, and House Hightower rolls uh, almost unscathed into the Targaryen mm-hmm. era and does so in a way that actually gives them a better position going into this new era. As patrons of the Maesters of the Citadel, they wield tremendous influence all across the realm. And then, of course, um, because the Starry Sept is in Old Town, that gives them a lot of influence as well, and that is where Aegon was anointed and crowned uh, king. So, just incredible gamesmanship and game playing by House Hightower, and of course, in terms of passive income, nothing really beats the Lannisters who live in a gold mine, live in a gigantic gold mine, like a four hundred foot tall gold mine, and the Westerns in general are laden with mines and. 
deep veins of gold and silver. Uh, uh, the abundance of gold controlled by the Lannisters is famed all throughout the world. In the world of Ice and Fire, it's mentioned that um, Lomas Longstrider, who's this like famous travel diarist, uh, traveled to a shy where he heard that uh, you know merchants there asking if it was true that there was a lion lord who lived in a castle made of gold. So these stories travel, um, and or also the Lannisters control Lannisport, which is a thriving port. Now, if there was a moment where we could say for sure that the Lannisters probably passed. House Hightower, and indeed the Valerians to become the richest in the realm. It was probably during the the reign of Lord Gerald the Golden. This is Tywin Lannister's grandfather. Under his wise management, trade flourished. Coffers overflowed. Uh, and though his son, uh, Tywin's dad, Titos, was dangerously weak and lent a lot of money, and because he was weak, people didn't pay it back. Uh, his son, Tywin, when he came into power, quickly reversed all of Casterly Rock's kind of fortunes. He called in outstanding debts, took hostages to enforce payment, and under Tywin's extremely hard leadership, the the houses Tarbeck and more famously Reigns were totally wiped out, which just from the loot alone probably added a lot to the mm-hmm. Lannister treasury. So we should assume again that that by that time, so again, you know, 70 years 50 years ish before uh before um the events of game of thrones we should assume that castor lock then vaults to the top spot in terms of wealth but but let's remember a couple of important things one by game of thrones right i forget what season but tywin has that you know heart-to-heart talk with cersei where he admits that the mines had gone dry like three years earlier now what does that mean does that mean there's no gold probably not what it probably means is one house lannister is not as rich as everybody thinks and two you know uh they bankrolled robert's rebellion and then when robert became king he was just an un irresponsible spender who didn't know anything about economic restraint and of course uh little finger as master of coin like helped him spend money he didn't have and who bankrolled all of this, who gave loans to the crown that were never going to be paid back. It was House Lannister. So that was uh, probably pretty destructive to their finances. And of course, they covered it up pretty well, which leads me to the second thing. As we mentioned, House Lannister loves telling everybody how rich they are. Are they as rich as they say? Are they just fronting? Are they just putting on, you know, it's it's unclear, but we should assume that certainly by the by the time Tywin Lannister becomes, you know, Lord of Castor Lock, Warden of the West, that the Lannisters are the richest in the realm. But it is it is fair to assume that the that the high towers are right there at this particular time. OK, Jay asks, is there anything in Targaryen history that would indicate an immunity to grayscale? Because Daemon did not seem overly concerned. That's right. That was confirmed that the uh, that the crab feeder has grayscale, and of course, Damon chopped him in half and was carrying his body around. <laughs> um, no, on the contrary, uh, we talked about the wars between Old Valeria and the Roinar when we talked about Nymeria. The Roinar were uh, a people that lived along the banks of the Roinar River who were kind of like water sorcerers, um, could control water magic. 
um, had this uh, really highly advanced society um, and they came into conflict with uh, old Valeria who eventually wiped them out after sending hundreds of dragons after their last city. Now, as a doomsday weapon of sorts, the, um, the, the Roinar in their last moments, like cast some kind of spell that caused the river to flood. And shortly thereafter, a, a, a kind of vile fog rolled in and everybody in that fog, many in that fog, we don't know the, the actual numbers, but the people in that fog, Valerians, uh, then fell ill with grayscale. So we know that Valerians could get grayscale and were indeed vulnerable to it because of this event. And so we should assume that Targaryens could, can catch grayscale as well. Why did Damon do this? I, probably because he doesn't understand infectious disease and was just being irresponsible and was all caught up in the moment. My sense, though, is that Damon is going to be fine. Yeah, it definitely seems like that was a cured or right. untransmissible at currently, but that's just a theory. We could see. We could it's, see. Well, whatever the case, he shouldn't have touched it. He but shouldn't I, have touched I, it, but I it guess seems... I would. Right. I would heavily doubt that Damon gets grayscale, but you never know. You never know. Uh, okay, this is good. This touches on one of our, our moments that we were talking about I that love we really song, love. Yeah. Brian and David ask, was that supposed to be Bloody Ben Blackwood this that killed great. the Bracken kid or his dad? That's great. So the books mention that um, there is uh, there was a Samuel Blackwood who fought an Amos Bracken uh, over the hand of Rhaenyra Targaryen when she was doing these kind of like uh, marriage tours around, and this was in the Riverlands. Sam would later become Lord Blackwood, and his son was Ben, Benjacott, a.k.a. Bloody Ben, who would go on to have a, a um, little written about, but very, very interesting career that we shouldn't mention because it's probably spoilers. Now, IMDB has our belligerents in this episode listed as Willem Blackwood and Gerald Bracken. So two names that do not appear in the books. So uh, it, it would appear that that is no relation or at least no direct relation to Bloody Ben Blackwood. That said, you could see a world in which in which this comes into play. Mm -hmm. And if we should meet Bloody Ben Blackwood, this particular event becomes part of the ongoing feud between those two houses. And we should also say, also, uh, the story about Samwell and Amos, their feud, their the duel that they fight, um, which is not deadly in the books, is is appears in the source material for a House of the Dragon, which is... Uh, history books written by these fictional, unreliable mm-hmm. narrators. So it also might be that whoever wrote these histories just got the, the names wrong. wrong. They got yeah. the names wrong. So it, it, it's still, it is possible that we could have watched a relation, a direct relation to Bloody Ben Blackwood, but those characters are not the characters that appear in the books. Okay, Pachula asks, I had always assumed that moon tea was like plan B which is used for contraception, not abortion. However, the way it's described in the books and the related GOT wiki entries, it appears to be considered as an abortifacient. Yeah, the books describe Plan T as, as being used for both 
contraception and abortion, but mostly the latter, mostly for abortion. One example of it being used as a contraceptive, and this is, and it's, it's kind of implied, but it's not clear, but it seems to me that that's what's being said is from Feast for Crows, Sir Eris Oakhart of the Kingsguard is sent to Dorne as Princess Marcella Baratheon's protector. Um, he is swiftly seduced by Princess Arian Martell of Dorne, who, um, you know, uses him and manipulates him for her own means. If you haven't read that book, I won't go further, but it's a fun little plot line. Um, and in one of their conversations, you know, he's talking about how, oh my God, I've already broken my vows for you. And she says, no, because one, you can't marry me, right? I can't marry you because I'm a princess. So that's fine. So you're not going to break that one. And two, I, I quote, drank my moon tea. So I'm not going to get pregnant is what she's saying. So that would seem to imply to me that she's like drinking this as a contraceptive. Uh, but but again, it seems mostly that, as it's depicted in the books, that it is used as uh, as something to uh, to have an abortion with. That said, it's also clear that they're using it for both. Yeah, something I found really interesting about the use of it in this episode as well is like, what does it say about Viserys and his belief in Rhaenyra? Yeah, I know, right? Because she said no, and he's like, here. Have the well, abortion I think tea. Well, well, I think it's also just like a no harm, no foul, right? Okay, yeah, you say like, no, but also let's just make sure. <laughs> <laughs> let's just make sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Connor has a has an interesting one here. One thing I find myself wondering as we see Otto Hightower begin to fall from the king's grace is does Otto have any holdings bestowed on him by either Viserys or his brother? Since Otto has been the hand of the king and presumably lived in the Red Keep for so long, does he have his own holdfast to return to or any other source of income? Or will he simply return to Oldstown and be the unemployed younger brother who has come to crash on the couch of his more successful older brother? Yeah, I'm sure that, um, uh, first of all, there's no way that Otto would get this job without bringing to it um, extensive personal connections that would allow him to give the king the best possible advice. And those connections, you know, with the way this feudal society works, uh, economics, finances, and personal relationships are all bound together. Um, now, uh, we don't know for a fact what Otto has as his own personal income, but we should assume that he's got something of his own, certainly nothing on par with, you know, what we expect Hobart, uh, Lord Hobart to have as, as Lord of Hightower. But I'm sure that, that again, that, um, that the Lord of high of the lord of of the high tower would have would provide something for his brother so his brother is not just like living you know on a couch somewhere and also you know i would assume that coming back to old town uh you got the hand of the king back in town you'd also want otto in your court giving you advice mm -hmm providing the kind of insight that he once provided to the king with an understanding up close of how, you know, royal politics and King's Landing works. That would just, he would just come home with, with a rich, like, you know, treasury of, of experiences and advice to provide for his brother. But so all of which is to say, like, he's fine. He's not broke, but it's, it's, um, we shouldn't expect that he would have, 
income, you know, on par with his brother. That said, it's also, we should also expect like a good ruler, as many uh, characters in this world often say, a good ruler is open-handed with their servants. And I would assume that over the years, King Viserys had gifted stuff, you know, maybe not land, but monies or jewels or whatever to Otto. In, In terms of like rewarding somebody with like actual land, usually that happens after a battle. Like you're not, uh, Viserys would not reach into Old Town or the Reach going over the head of the Tyrells or of his brother and say, I hear, I decree that you have this castle and this land in the Reach and I'm giving it to you, even though all the lords hold their lands and titles uh, from the king. The king provides those things. He can take them back anytime. He wouldn't do that. You know, that would, that would be like overstepping uh, and would cause problems. He could if he wanted to, but it would be seen as bad kinging. Um, usually when a lord or a king is giving their supporters land, it's because they just fought a war against traitors or somebody, and now there's they've killed a bunch of people and there's all this land that's now available that they can then give over. But I, I would heavily doubt that Viserys would give... Um, tracts of land to Otto, unless it was stuff in the Crownlands, like directly around the Red Keep, the region uh, that the Red Keep is the the direct capital of, um, which the king could give freely without having to worry about stepping on the toes of any other high lord. Yeah, I would be very interested to see if that did happen, because I feel like the king kind of felt like Alicent was a, was a love match, and I'm yeah. sure his happiness made him even more open-handed. So I'll be yeah. very interested to see how that plays out. Mario begins with a lovely shout out to you. He's a big fan. And then asks something that I feel like is one of my favorite things to talk about in this show. I've always wondered, who are those people who watch events in the throne room? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. So, you know, this is the seat of government. And as we have seen in this world, right, often lords will... If, if there is friction with another house, with a house that maybe the king or a high lord doesn't trust, right, they'll send their kids uh, to, li- to ward at a particular castle. You know, we saw this with uh, the Starks and Theon Greyjoy, right? The, the Greyjoys were defeated in a rebellion. And so you send your kid to uh, Winterfell where technically they're a hostage, but they're treated really well. So some of it is that, right? Wards and people that are sent to King's Landing officially um, uh, to kind of like observe what's going on and be brought up, uh, you know, in in the court. Uh, And these are often, you know, second and third sons and second and third daughters, people that you're hoping will like, will have a wedding match to one day, or you're hoping will be knighted by the king himself and that kind of stuff. Other people would be ambassadors. You know, this, again, this is the seat of government. There's a lot of trade going on. Uh, you would imagine that there'd be ambassadors from Bravos, from different places, from from other uh, noble houses that are just there in order to foster connections with the king and with the king's advisors in order to keep money and the economy flowing. Um, and then, as we saw, there are also people who are just like invited to court to stay there as a as a point of honor. You know, if you're going to make an alliance, uh, you know, why was Alicent there? Right, Alicent was there. One, because Otto wanted her around like as a chess piece, right? But also, 
she became close with Princess Rhaenyra, was friends with her. These are, you know, like the king and various people who live in the in the castle would be concerned about um, their kids, their family members meeting other people of similar station. And so if it was okay, certain families would, uh, as a point of honor, be invited to send their kids to live at the castle. So those are all the, there's yeah. just various, and then there's knights of the King's Guard, you know, various uh, fighting people, probably hedge knights looking for gigs, looking for someone to hire them. Um, but again, this is a place of business. This is a place of, of high government. And so all those kind of business people, all those people looking to, uh, to foster connections throughout the realm would just be there. Yeah. We've talked quite a lot about like the influence of of real history, like Henry VIII, yeah. for example, comes yeah. up a lot. And that notion of having court and having this huge yeah. community that lives within your palaces, that is very, is very real to that kind of time period and the way that yeah. politics and machinations were done. Okay, Camilla's going deep here. You're going to love this one. Yeah. Now that we got to see on episode four that quite a few things that Mushroom said regarding these specific events were in fact true, how much of a reliable source do you think the testimony of Mushroom will be after all? Anything you specifically believe he was wrong and right about other than what we've already gotten to see? The short answer, I think, is that Mushroom is mostly wrong, but that there is a grain of truth in nearly everything that he has to say. So Mushroom, for those unfamiliar, is one of the major sources for the histories of the Dance of Dragons. The Dance of Dragons in book form is written as a fictional history written from the perspective of various unreliable narrators, of which Mushroom is one. Now, Mushroom uh, had a, theoretically, if you believe him, a front row seat to a lot of the stuff that happened. He was the court jester starting during the reign of Viserys and, and going forward for many years. So he was like right there when a lot of this stuff was happening in the Red Keep. Um, and, you know, important figures, including Princess Rhaenyra and others, apparently felt that they could speak freely around Mushroom because they, one, considered him to be uh, dim-witted, mentally challenged, and and also because this is on top of you know, being a, uh, a patriarchy. Uh, it, it's also an extremely ableist society where uh, someone who doesn't look like or have the abilities of quote unquote normal people would be seen as below everyone's notice, right? So Mushroom, according to himself, we always have to say that this is according to him, got a lot of the real scoop about stuff that was really going on. Like he was there in the room, he says, when some of the uh, most lurid and lascivious stuff happened. And and again, often his stories are the most, you know, sexually suggestive, the most titillating, the most violent, et cetera, showing the worst side of, of all these people. He talks about Baylor the Blessed, uh, Targaryen king who is very... Uh, you know, like a very faith-obsessed person ordered that every copy of the Testimony of Mushroom, Mushroom's book, be burned. But of course, some got through. Uh, Mushroom was, again, clearly very, very wrong about a lot, but there's a lot, and there's a lot we can't talk about because of spoilers for stuff later on in this series. But uh, we can mention some of the things that that he wrote about that have come to pass. For instance, he said that 
King Viserys and Alicent began their relationship while Queen Emma was alive. Clearly, he got that completely wrong. That's uh, absolutely false. And even when he's kind of right, he's wrong. For instance, Mushroom writes that Rhaenyra was in love with Kristen Cole. Uh, a crush? Know. Like a crush, maybe. And love is very strong. Uh, but And, and uh, was constantly making advances towards him. Not true. But because Cole was true to his vows, she couldn't get any traction. He continues that it was Prince Damon who offered to train Rhaenyra in the carnal arts. And it says, uh, and this is from Fire and Blood, quote, at night he would smuggle her from her room, dressed as a page boy, and take her secretly to the brothels on the Street of Silk, where the princess could observe men and women in the act of love. Okay, kind of, right? Certainly not multiple times, but like one time it it did happen sort of that way. And then Mushroom continues that Cole rejected the princess when she tried to put these techniques to use. And that again, clearly false. So how much did Mushroom know? I don't know. It seems to me that Mushroom just kind of heard a lot of the gossip that was around King's Landing at that time and that there is a grain of truth to it, but that Mushroom was, again, mostly and vastly wrong. Okay, Jake asks, in two of the four episodes thus far, there's been major scoffing at Damon for attempting to (laughs) quote unquote remarry. Arguably, the biggest shift in the show thus far has been King Viserys choosing to remarry Alicent, supposedly for the good of the realm. What and who dictates who can and cannot remarry, whether it be for an additional partner like Damon or your partner has passed like Viserys? Where does realmly responsibility come into the equation? Well, the king, it's important, number one, to remember, even though, again, Damon has never spent time with his wife. Has he he even met her? He's, we don't know if he's ever met her, uh, the lady Rhea Royce. He is married to her. He is wedded to her. Now, King Viserys could, if he so wished, put that marriage aside by royal decree. But Damon can't. And he can't simply divorce her either. Like, he, people are scoffing because Damon is fucking married. <laughs> he's flat out just married. And the king's not going to put that wedding aside because that was an important uh, alliance with uh, with the Lords of the Vale. And so uh, people are scoffing because Damon has a wife. That's why they're scoffing. He can't get married because he's he's wed. Now go home and be with your fucking wife, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the series, he could get, re- he had to get remarried to continue right. his legacy and his family his wife, and have an heir. His wife had passed away. Now, also, Targaryen kings, we should, you know, Magor married three women at once you know uh Aegon the conqueror had two wives who were also his sisters like there's the the ruler can do stuff now we should add also that they did that not without intense blowback from the realm at writ large like when Magor married his black brides it was it was not viewed Sunnily by the realm, people were disgusted by this, and and it was taken as more evidence that Magor it was an accursed figure. Aegon got away with this because he had multiple dragons and was and was beating the shit out of the entire realm. So everybody's like, okay, we'll just let this go. When Anus, <laughs> King Anus, uh, came in and and uh, tried to do similar stuff uh, and have and, and 
you know, uh, it, it was seen as an abomination. He was very confused as to why all of a sudden, like Aegon could have, his dad could have gotten away with with certain uh, marriage things that he got away with, and he wasn't. So the king can occasionally marry more than one of <laughs> of his own relatives, but <laughs> only you know that that is a step to be taken you know only after much consideration because the realm won't like it so uh you know viserys you know could take multiple wives but he shouldn't and thankfully didn't but and certainly prince damon cannot do that okay so christian's going to give you one that i know you're going to enjoy diving deep yeah. into quick question about the crab feeder HBO confirmed in one of the behind the scenes features yeah. that he's wearing a piece of the Sons of the Harpy mask, which you had mentioned. My understanding was that the Sons of the Harpy didn't form until the time of Daenerys's reign in Marine. Am I wrong about that? Or are we assuming that the masks existed long before the events of Game of Thrones for a different purpose? Thank you. Yeah, yeah you're not wrong about that. But I, I would liken it to um, when we see bagpipes like at a parade. We see those. And we understand that's a reference to Scottish Highland culture, to an ancient warrior culture in medieval times, right? And, and, and Scottish society and, and not originating at the parade. And we should think of the Sons of the Harpy in a similar way. So they, um, the Sons of the Harpy were rebelling against Danny's rule. Danny had done things, canceled certain privileges that the, the Sons of the Harpy felt were integral to their culture and their culture descends from the old Gis empire, which was this kind of like slaveholding empire that was a rival to Valeria. Eventually the Valerians wiped them out and colonized the area. But as happens in real life, the Valerians that then colonized that area, then it became, it took on the old Gis culture. Right. So what we should assume is that the sons of the harpy were using a symbol that was a symbol of this kind of ancient gis culture that they were saying was being trammeled on that was being uh, deconstructed unjustly by a daenerys targaryen and the masks were a, a part of that protest against that and and a reference that we don't understand but is clearly like an, a much older symbol right so, um, yeah, so what we should assume is this is a symbol that's been around. It's it's has something to do with uh, old the old Gis Empire and the culture of Slaver's Bay, um, but that it's an old one, not necessarily created by the Sons of the Harpy, but one that was adopted by them to reference their, their kind of ancient bloodline, this ancient society that they were feeling was being unjustly um, uh, pushed down. Okay, and finally, Kim asks, what's the date in Bravos? It's a good question. Um, obviously, like in Westeros, we're using Aegon's invasion as and Aegon's conquest, you know, AC. They're saying, you know, 101 AC or, you know, 102 AC um, after conquest. We don't know is the answer. And, of course, like all the cities in, in Bravos have, you know, different cultures, different societies. But I think I would assume that most, I, I, I would find it likely that the free cities, the various cities of Essos would use the Doom of Valeria as kind of like the starting calendar because that was such a huge event. And of course, the Bravosi 
um, descended from slaves that escaped uh, from Valerian, uh, the Valerian yoke. They would have hated Valeria. So I, I would assume it would be kind of cool for them to be like, hey, it's the year after these motherfuckers all got wiped out. <laughs> Uh, so that's my assumption. We don't know that to be the case. Uh, there's other, you know, it could also be that um, uh, that they start their calendar when they found Bravos and were able to establish their society after escaping from uh, the Valerian yoke. But I like to think that that a lot of those cities use the Doom of Valeria as the start of their calendar. That's it for this episode of Ask the Maester. Don't miss the new HBO original series, House of the Dragon, now streaming on HBO Max. And don't forget, your questions. We love answering them. Send them to askthemaester at gmail.com. A big thank you to Rosie Knight for joining us on X-Ray Vision. Rosie, what do you have to plug? You've been writing so much about D23, about other things. What do you have to plug for the people? You can find a ton of She-Hulk stuff if you, like everyone else, is in love with Madison. Me and Zig had a great yes. chat about her last week. I interviewed Jessica Gao about introducing Madison, teaming out with Wongas. That's it. Nerdist. I did a rad uh, Polygon piece that kind of lists the most anticipated comics that I think you should check out for the rest of the year. That was a really nice big one. Got a ton of stuff going on at IGN. If you are so inclined to read about my thoughts on Lord of the Rings, you can find them there. Also a lot of manga and anime lists. So yeah, just good stuff. And then obviously here with you. Yay! <laughs> You can catch our next episode on September 23rd with more House of the Dragon stuff, more She-Hulk stuff, plus a return to a galaxy far, far away. And our good friends uh, from uh, from the spy Star Wars feature Andor that I am very, very excited to, to watch the lies, the deception, and more. Don't forget, drop your queries uh, for House of the Dragon at askthemaster at gmail.com. And don't forget... This episode is the House of the Dragon episode. The next episode is going to be D23 and our She-Hulk content. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. We'd love to get those five-star reviews. That's what we want. That's what we need. That's what we got to have. And we told you we we're going to read five-star reviews that you send us. And here's one from Byron. The absolute best. Love the show. Always insightful, full of joy. Thank you, Rosie and Jason, the whole team. Short and to the point, and that's exactly what we need. And, of course, right on top of that, what do you got? You got the five beautiful stars. I love it, baby. See you next time. Bye. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. Bye-bye. What must I say to you? You enter my bedchamber, accusing my daughter of something. Now speak it, plainly. Prince Damon and Rhaenyra were seen together in the bowels of a pleasure den. Okay, and, and what were they doing? Your grace, they were... coupling. What? what? I... Your grace, they were... Amidst the writhing bodies in the pleasure house. And they had taken a one-way ticket to pound town. What? Otto, what are you... What are you talking about? They had ridden the snake, your grace. And the snake 
cried milk. I... Otto, what? The gates, your grace, the gates of old Volveria were left open. Otto, what? They were playing hide the purse, your grace. What are you talking about? (laughs) Your grace, they were in the bowels of a pleasure house, playing spank the maester. Otto, speak plainly, man. (laughs) What are you saying? Your grace, they were in the bottom of the most vile and lurid brothel in King's Landing, playing twisty, twisty, titty, twisty, dragon misty, titty, twisty. What? Ashley's Memorial Day mattress sale is going on now. Save big on select adjustable mattress sets up to $1,200 on Beautyrest Black, up to $800 on Purple, and up to $500 on Tempur-Pedic. Plus, get 72-month special financing with select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Visit your local Ashley store or ashley.com for better sleep and savings. Only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. No minimum purchase required. See store for details.